never left. Let's get it. It's double move sports. Y'all already know what it is. I'm Steph Alviero. I'm here with the fantasy phenom, Alex Lott. Say what's up to the people, bro. How was your football weekend? Oh, it was fantastic. This is the first time this season I've done a clean sweep in all my leagues, did not lose in a single place. We're recording this on Monday. That is assuming there's no funny business by the Falcons tonight. I need like nine points from Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, so fingers crossed there. But it was a good one, Steph. The fiance won in her league. That's a plus. And Steph, you know, me and you put the hurt on some people in some beer pong this weekend, won a couple tourneys there out with the boys. So all around, it was fantastic. <laughs> Hitting death cup and grand finals, going on a crazy losers run in a double elim- elimination tournament. But there's a lot to talk about here. And one of the things I think we need to talk about, literally breaking news as we just hit record here, Bill O'Brien goodbye, just been fired by the Houston Texans, probably fired himself since he's the GM and the head coach. But how are we feeling about this for, for Houston? Is it positive all across the board? And, you know, who are they going to bring in? It's a good thing. I mean, Bill O'Brien, I don't think he's a bad coach. Definitely a bad GM. So I think this is the change that the Houston Texans needed. No, I don't think the 0-4 start is necessarily all his faults. I mean, they had an incredibly tough draw to start out the year with their schedule. If you look at who they played, I don't know who made this, but they played the Chiefs in Week 1, the Ravens in Week 2, The Steelers in week three, Vikings last week, you can make an argument they should have won, but the Vikings are still a decent football team. So a really, really tough draw to start out. I think it's a good thing for their organization. I mean, Bill O'Brien shipped off DeAndre Hopkins, has shipped off several of their draft picks. They have an incredibly high payroll. So, I mean, you know, he's kind of screwed over their organization here for the next couple of years. No doubt they'll get back on their feet. But watch Bill O'Brien go sign with the Arizona Cardinals. What? And then we'll have some insider trading going on there, <laughs> um, shipping off DeAndre Hopkins essentially for free and joining up with them. If, if that happens, you heard it here first, but I think Twitter would explode if that was the case. <laughs> I'm, I'm really liking what I'm seeing. Eric Bieniemy, Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator, coming over as the head coach for Houston. I think that'd be a fantastic hire for them. Get that offense going. Let Deshaun cook. I mean, for the rest of this year, though, do we know who the interim head coach is going to be? Is it going to be Romeo Crennel? No idea. No idea. We'll have to follow this one closely. Got it. All in all, it's just one that we need to monitor. Um, Hopefully it is a positive. Hopefully we don't see this organization go into tank mode for the rest of the year. But I don't think Deshaun Watson's going to let that happen. But let's talk about some of these topics here from week four. We're now 25% of the way through the season. Crazy. It's moving fast, man. And let's talk about, like we do every single episode, let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, This might be one of the last times we need to talk about them because it's turning into a pretty chalk matchup for them week in, week out. Pretty predictable game scripts. The Dallas Cowboys are now the new Atlanta Falcons. They're going to go down early and uh, Dak is going to sling it. They're second in pace of play. Dallas defense literally can't stop anybody. The Cleveland Browns had 7.7 yards per rush attempt as a team. That's including Baker. That's including Dontrell Hilliard. And that's with Nick Chubb being out of the lineup at one point before halftime. They were at like 9.5 yards per attempt as a team. So this Cowboys defense cannot stop anybody. They have no linebacker help. Their best safety is, or their best defensive back is a rookie. Teams are going to be able to put up points. People are going to blame Dak on this one. I'm already seeing the mainstream, you know, sports talk guys. Trying to take shots at Dak Prescott. He is not the reason 
for these issues at all whatsoever. He's the only reason they've been able to stay in games. Right now he's on pace to throw for over 6,000 passing yards <laughs> and has so far been able to support a lot of weapons oh in that gosh. offense. In this game, Dak threw the ball 58 times, almost 60 pass attempts. He's on pace for like 800. Yeah, he's been throwing a ton. Uh, had 57 attempts in week three against Seattle and then had 58 here. So hitting 60 in back-to-back games almost. Had himself a day, um, was a fantastic fantasy option as he's been all season, as we predicted uh, in kind of the mock draft era before the season started. But Dak on the day completed 41 uh, of those 57 passes for 502 yards and then had four touchdowns. Also had a, a couple rushing attempts uh, to give you another you know little baseline there. But Dak is absolutely just airing the ball out because he has to. And this team is running a lot of plays. Zeke is doing Zeke things. Let's talk about some of the wide receivers here. Alex, I'll go ahead and let you take a victory lap on C.D. Lamb. You were all on him before the season. Uh, it's got to feel good going off in this game with two touchdowns. Yeah, man. I mean, first of all, this Cowboys team is giving up 36 and a half points per game. Like, this is a quarter into the season. This isn't just like one bad game where they gave up 40 points. They're consistently giving up a ridiculous amount of points. And we said it all offseason long. It's like the perfect swarm of a terrible defense that's actually had a couple injuries as well to make them even worse, paired with one of the most, if not the most, high-flying offenses in the NFL, weapons all around. Dak Prescott, even at running back, Zeke, Tony Pollard was making plays in this game. I know Jarwin went down, but Dalton Schultz has been great. And then the receivers, arguably the best receiving core in the league. But back to CeeDee Lamb. You know, this is exciting to see. And I was in a lot of trade talks with him over the past couple of weeks just because he's been such a hot commodity. And I haven't wanted to trade him. But now, I mean, it's it, it's one of those things where is this something that's going to be sustained for the whole season or is this potentially a sell-high window? Let's talk about his game here. He had seven targets, caught five of them for 79 yards. So that's a, almost a 16 yards per reception there and then added those two touchdowns as well. And to your point, you know, is this a sell-high window on C.D. Lamb? I don't think it is. I think that's something that is sustainable. I think you keep holding him and you just keep plugging him in. What we've seen is Gallup really be the guy who's more boom-bust with C.D. Lamb as more of a safe, stable option. You know, we like slot receivers. We always like slot receivers for fantasy. And one of the rules, one of the the you know, little hacks, so to speak, is on game day, if you need a spot start, just find a slot receiver on an offense that might score. We see guys like Cole Beasley come out and even on their worst days are decent enough for fantasy if you need eight to 10 points. C.D. Lamb is that and then has, uh, you know, just the pedigree, the explosiveness, the profile. Here's, he has everything. Like, I, I think we've seen enough now to say C.D. Lamb is great and he's going to be great. Yeah, here's what I'll say. I think C.D. Lamb is like, if he's your flex right now, you probably have one of the best flexes in your league because I think you can lock him in as your wide receiver to reflex. He's going to have an incredibly high floor. We saw it in this one. Huge game with the two touchdowns. My one concern about Lamb, I love him as that high floor play. He's on the field. He's getting the snaps. He's getting the targets. This offense is insane. But Steph, surely, and maybe I'll be wrong on this, but surely the volume for the Cowboys offense is going to come down, even if it's 10%. Right. Like Dak's not throwing for 6,500 yards. He's not going to have 800 attempts. He could, but it's not likely. So naturally, that's going to lead to slightly less volume for CD Lamb. And right now, 
he's been fantastic, but he's only seeing, I mean, he's seeing seven targets a game, which is great, but a lot of these are underneath passes. He did have the big one this week, but a lot of these are, a lot of these are shorter um, receptions. He's only averaging, I mean, right now he's averaging 14.7 yards per reception, but that was brought up by the huge game this week. So I think CD Lamb is a very good play, but right now his value might be higher than it's going to be all season. And Steph, I just want to throw it back over to you. Like CD Lamb or Robert Woods for the rest of the year? I'd go Robert Woods. And, and the reason is just. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like CD Lamb or Kenny Galladay for the rest of the year. Oh, Kenny Galladay easily. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Peep, I'm telling you, people are so fired up about CD Lamb right now. You might be able to trade him one for one for one of these guys or package him with somebody else to make a huge upgrade at a position. So. I think CeeDee Lamb's a fine play, but his value right now is sky high, and I wouldn't mind cashing in uh, for an, a full season upgrade at the wider, wide receiver position if you have the chance. Um, because, look, you know the two touchdowns in this game were great, but in the red zone, they're going to try to run it in with Zeke. They're going to run it in with Dak, and then if they're going to pass the ball, you got Amari Cooper ahead of him in the pecking order. Dalton Schultz at the tight end spot has been very involved in the red zone this year. And arguably, Michael Gallup, even though he's not as involved between the 20s, he's a red zone threat as well. So CeeDee Lamb, I don't expect to be putting up any more two-touchdown games this year. Maybe he'll pop for another one. But the touchdowns aren't going to come every week. And without a couple of those big plays, this is just another very consistent, solid game for CeeDee. I'm, I'm surprised that you have this take and, you, and you're willing to flip him. I know like the receivers that you mentioned are guys that we have as you know high-end wide receiver twos, maybe wide receiver ones. Um, but dude, you CD is just, he's going to dominate all season and the schedule. We've talked about the Cowboys schedule. It's so easy. It's so soft and there's, it's everything you want. The perfect storm. That's the, I'm in on CD lamb. And if you can't trade them for one of these ridiculous names, keep them locked in. I mean, this isn't necessarily, you know, a sell high, like it would be on some other guys that pop off, but this, this is a good opportunity to send out some feelers for some of these locked in season long values that might've disappointed in the last week or two and ride with CeeDee Lamb. For example, like I would take CeeDee Lamb over a guy like DJ Moore. Oh, yeah. Um, so so that's kind of where you're drawing the line. Um, I'd take him over a guy like Jarvis Landry, obviously. Um, so, so look, there's, you know, he's definitely had his value skyrocket since the season has started. But send some feelers out there for some of these locked-in wide receiver ones and see if people are tilting a little bit too hard and you might just get yourself a value in a trade. Yeah, and I definitely think you are right that people will pull the trigger on that just with the name value, the hype value, so to speak, that CD is going to give you. With Michael Gallup, is he a guy that you know, you're looking to move on from? Is he a guy that's just going to be a flex that sometime is going to end up on your bench and you plug him in when you need that boom upside? He was already more of a boom bust guy when he finished as a low-end wide receiver too in 2019. And now we're seeing him be even more boom bust. Less than 10 fantasy points on two weeks. Then he has that boom 25-point game in week three. And then now uh, back to another disappointing outing in this one. Only had two receptions for 29 yards on five targets. So he's being relegated to that pure deep threat, that pure field stretcher. He's on the field more often than the other guys. Um, you know, Being out there as a blocker, being out there as a field stretcher just to move the defense around. Is Michael Gallup a guy that we can trust anymore at all? No, but you're probably just keeping him on your bench. I mean, if you trade Michael Gallup right now, you're not going to get anything. I think he's still got enough upside to prevent you from cutting him at this point. And we talked about it with these other guys. The Cowboys offense could pop off at any time. But Michael Gallup is probably one of those guys you just got to stash on your bench, and he might find your flex 
occasionally if you have bye weeks or you have players that are getting hurt and you need a plug-in guy. Um, you know, not someone you necessarily want to be starting every single week because he is so boom bust, but you're, you're not going to get anything for him. So you might as well keep him on your bench, you know, keep him as your wide receiver four. And if you have to plug him in, you just got to cross your fingers and pray that it's one of those big weeks um, because we've seen it. He definitely has the capability to make that happen. Um, but, you know, if Michael Gallup's sitting on waivers in a league, if someone's really fed up and they cut him, I'm willing to pick him up. Um, and just toss him on my bench, and if I get in the pinch, I can throw him out there and hope it's it's one of the booms. So he's disappointed. I think he's a true wide receiver three at this point who's going to be boom bust, um, but I'm not getting crazy, and I'm not cutting him. I'd still take him over T.Y. Hilton. I'd take him over A.J. Green, guys like that. Absolutely, and, and let's talk about some injuries, some unfortunate injuries to two stud running backs that happened almost simultaneously. Man, again. On the week, we have Nick Chubb. Went out in this matchup that we just talked about with an MCL injury. He's been placed on IR, expected to miss six weeks. So that value, that that shot that we said, hey, this guy could be a mid-round league winner, a guy that you should be willing to draft at the right value. It's Kareem Hunt. And now it looks like he's going to come in and be yep. a no-question locked and loaded RB1 at least for the next six weeks here. I'm, I'm already plugging in Kareem Hunt as a flex. Now he's moving into a, a RB spot out of that flex range because he's going to take over this backfield and he's going to be dominant in this game. He was only on the field for 34% of snaps and he was coming in with a, a, a little bit banged up. He did have a groin injury uh, on the week prior to, to game time and he was questionable to even play. But in this game that, you know, the, the Browns were absolutely running wild. Hunt had 11 attempts for 71 yards, six and a half yards per carry, and then had two touchdowns on the ground. So assuming health for Kareem Hunt. My start of the week. Yeah, your start of the week. Great call there. Take that victory lap. Um, you know, are you worried about Darnus Johnson or Dontrell Hilliard? I'm really not. Um, I think they're both just going to be guys to no. come in and kind of take the other 30% to let Kareem Hunt have a breath. Yeah, I mean, this game, the Browns were absolutely dominating the Dallas Cowboys till that comeback in the fourth quarter. You said it, Kareem Hunt came in with a little bit of an injury, so they were clearly limiting him, especially with that lead. If this is a competitive game, I think Kareem Hunt's on the field a lot more. I think he's seeing a lot more of these carries. So, yeah, I mean, Kareem Hunt, if you have him, he's a locked-in guy until Nick Chubb is back. Every single week, no questions asked, he is in your lineup. And, you know, we said he's an RB2, and if Nick Chubb goes down, he's a cleared, you know, RB1, top eight guy. Kareem Hunt, through four games, with Nick Chubb in the lineup, RB7 right now. So... Now that Nick Chubb has gone down, you're not switching anything up. Nick or Kareem Hunt has been an absolute touchdown monster this yeah. year. So you're keeping him locked in. And Steph, he may have been my start of the week last week, but it was because I said he was going to get a ton of pass catching work in this game. He got zero targets, <laughs> but he still had a huge game. So I can't I can't take the full victory lap. Um, you know, we're we're right about some things, we're wrong about some things. And this one I got a little bit lucky with those two touchdowns. But man, Kareem Hunt. Definitely looked good in this one. Dearness Johnson, I think in a deep league, he's worth a waiver wire stash. You know, see what happens if Kareem Hunt continues to battle an injury and they want to keep this as like a 70-30 split. I think Dearness Johnson could have some value in a, in a deeper league or if Kareem Hunt missed any time, I think he'd be the next man up. But not a ton of interest. You know, I'm not rushing to the waiver wire over him. I'd much prefer someone like a, obviously Josh Kelly on the Chargers, but also Justin Jackson on the Chargers, who we can just go ahead and talk about now, Steph. I mean, Austin Eckler, serious hamstring injury, also a hyperextended knee. He's expected to miss six weeks as well. And honestly, I, as someone who has Eckler in Dynasty and just for 
the guy in general. We both love Austin Eckler. I was thrilled to see that he's only expected to miss six weeks. This looked really bad. I thought he was going to be out for the rest of the season. But having said that, Steph, we got to look at the fantasy implications. Josh Kelly is clearly the big winner here. Justin Jackson, I think, is a winner as well. How do you think this backfield is going to shake out? I think it's be some sort of kind of what we already seen. Justin Jackson now stepping in to take over the Austin Eckler role. He's been efficient, though it has been on a limited sample size. Justin Jackson has. I'm willing to pick him up. He might be my top waiver wire running back of the week. Still not a guy I'm trying to go out and just blow all my fab on. Definitely not trying to blow all my fab on Joshua Kelly. But I think we're going to continue to see this Melvin Gordon, Austin Eckler type split. Except this time now it's going to be Josh Kelly and Justin Jackson. So same roles as ever. I think the def- uh, the offense, the Chargers offense, is going to slow down a little bit without Eckler. Eckler's been playing so well, evading so many tackles, creating so many yards for this offense. But with J- Justin Herbert coming in, giving some ignition to this fire. Um, and I think, I think both guys are flex or desperation RB2s, though I would take Kelly slightly over Justin Jackson just because we've seen it a little bit more so far this year. And this team runs the ball a lot. And if they're going to do that, I think Joshua Kelly is going to be the one to see most of that volume, whereas Justin Jackson's going to be the third down back is going to be you know not on the in goal line situation. So that's where I give Joshua Kelly the slight edge. But I think both are kind of like streamer desperation options for the RB2 spot. I was expecting bigger things from Joshua Kelly when Austin Eckler went down. 57% of snaps in this game against the Buccaneers. Granted, it was the Buccaneers matchup. You probably weren't starting Joshua Kelly, so no sweat off anybody's back here. They have a tough matchup in Week 5 against New Orleans. I might end up actually fading both of those guys in Week 5, but then after that, the schedule is absolutely beautiful. We have the Jets, Miami, Jacksonville, and the Vegas Raiders all back-to-back-to-back after this New Orleans in Week 5. So that's when I would love to plug these guys in. That's when both are going to have value. I might be willing to even buy low on Joshua Kelly right now, uh, even though you're probably not going to be able to now with this Eckler news. Um, So don't overvalue Joshua Kelly for Week 5, but long-term, I'm in. I'm actually surprised. I'm I'm surprised that's your take. You're way, way lower on Josh Kelly than I think you should be, Steph. Like, I, I... if he's he's only rostered in 56% of leagues, so he's out there everywhere. If he's on your waiver wire, you got to go get this guy. I you know, I'd be willing to put in a hefty hefty waiver bid for Josh Kelly because to me, I literally would value him as like a David Montgomery type player for the next 6 weeks. And you know, David Montgomery is not lighting the world on fire, but if he was on your waiver wire, you would go scoop that guy up. I think Josh Kelly's going to see a decent amount of rushing volume in this offense. I mean, we think David Montgomery is this huge volume play without a ton of efficiency, without a ton of touchdown upside. Josh Kelly, even with Austin Eckler, has one fewer carry than David Montgomery this year. So now with Eckler out, I don't think Justin Jackson's going to assume more work on the ground than Eckler did. So I think Josh Kelly's r- rushing workload is going to continue to be the same, if not higher, than David Montgomery's. They're going to have a similar role in the passing game, and Josh Kelly is the clear goal line back. So I think Josh Kelly is a locked-in RB2 here for the next six weeks. And if he's available on the waiver wire, I am going to absolutely scoop him up. Um, I mean, Josh Kelly, I know he only had nine carries in this game, but it was this was a back-and-forth game. They had a pick six. Justin Herbert hit a couple super deep touchdown passes. So, you know, they were asking a lot from Herbert trying to keep up with Tampa Bay. I know they were playing with the lead for part of this game, but they were such a quick strike offense that they didn't have a ton of time to run the ball. They only had 23 carries in this game. Herbert had five of them. 
So I think Kelly is going to be an extremely safe volume play here for the next six weeks. Um, and I'm trying to go get him with Justin Jackson. You know, if he's available, I'll scoop him up. Um, I think he could be a little bit disappointing, though, because you're expecting this great split. Jackson is going to get some of that receiving work, but he's not going to have the touchdown upside because I think Josh Kelly is the clear goal line back. So still willing to pick up Justin Jackson as well. But Josh Kelly is a clear winner to me. Well, what's funny is that Justin Jackson actually outscored Kelly in this game, playing only on 39% of snaps. Uh, so fantasy-wise, he did outscore him. But here's the thing. I think this is going to be one of those backfields where no amount of analysis between me and you or any analyst out there is going to actually give us the clear answer. And I think there's going to be some weeks. This is where my reservations with Kelly come in, where Justin Jackson is actually going to be the guy. And there's going to be other weeks where Joshua Kelly is the guy. And it's going to be hard to figure out where those are going to come from. I think part of the value that a lot of uh, fantasy players put on Joshua Kelly is based off of that one game where he had 23 attempts in week two against Kansas City. I don't see that happening again at all. But granted, if the Chargers are playing with the lead, let's talk about Justin Herbert here in a second. Uh, if, if they're in these winning game scripts, then yeah, why isn't it? Why isn't it Joshua Kelly getting 15 to 20 touches a game uh, as they hold this lead and run out the clock? So uh, I think there's value for both. Like I said, I put Kelly slightly higher, but I think Justin Jackson is going to be more involved than Kelly managers want to talk about. But let's talk about Justin Herbert, who is absolutely cooking. He's on fire. Had his best week yet in the league on his lowest volume against a very good Buccaneers yeah. defense. I can't believe he only threw it 25 times looking at this box score. And Steph, I will say, I think part of that is because they had the pick six on Brady, and then he had the two deep touchdowns where you're not having a – you know, a 10 play drive going down the field with six, seven, eight pass attempts on the drive. It's literally just like one play and it's over. So I think that contributed to it. Some of those absolute mega plays, but still just incredibly efficient game for Herbert. Over 23 fantasy points for Herbert and two out of the, the three games that he's played so far. He had the biggest throw of the week. Granted, we are recording before the Chiefs play before the Pats play. I don't think Hoyer is going to compete for that record. Uh, but then you got Mahomes and Rodgers. Uh, and Matt Ryan all coming out on Monday night. But Justin Herbert had a 66 air yard touchdown pass to Jalen Guyton, fresh off the Sheesh. practice squad. Cannon. Absolute cannon of an arm. And I think the fantasy community or the football community as a whole needs to come out and just acknowledge like, hey, we're not that good at evaluating quarterback talent. There's been so many times, even like look at Josh Allen, for example. Everyone thought he'll never be accurate. He'll never be you know anything more than just a fantasy asset and can't win this team. He, Josh Allen is absolutely destroying teams right now. Totally revamped his game and has, yeah. has led the Bills with a defense that's given up a lot of points to a 4-0 start. So, you know, we look at quarterbacks and think we know everything. I think we just don't. And a lot of guys were out on Justin Herbert in the offseason. Granted, he had to fight with Tyrod Taylor, but... Um, I think for those dynasty investors, he still is fighting with Tyrod Taylor. I, I, Anthony Lynn will not call him the starter, which makes no sense. And hopefully by the time you're listening to this, Anthony Lynn calls him the starter, it's but a he's like so caught up on the fact that they've it's lost. It's a veteran respect. He's thing. so caught up on the fact that they've lost the last two games. And he's like, I don't care how good he plays. If we lost the game, it's like, well, it clearly wasn't Herbert's fault. So it's either you, Anthony Lynn, or it's somebody else. I don't see how they see what Herbert's done here and move off of him. It's crazy. I think more of, of not calling Agreed. him a starter is, you know, the veteran respect. Anything else we need to say here on Herbert? Is he a guy that you're willing to pick up in redraft as maybe, you know, is he more than a streamer? Is he a guy that you want to pick up and stash to see, hey, maybe he could stay in that 20-point fantasy range season long? 
He's had, you know, 14 or more rushing yards in every game. I think he's a streamer. If you got him in a dynasty, you're probably extremely happy. But I think he's a streamer. I mean, he's had these massive games. Um, and this week they play at New Orleans. So that's going to be probably a tough one. But then after that, we said we talked about the schedule when we talked about the Eckler injury and Josh Kelly and Justin Jackson. After the Saints next week, they have the Jets, Dolphins, Jaguars and Raiders. So, you know, after next week, if you want to pick him up or you want to pick him up now and keep him on your bench for a week, if you're kind of rotating quarterbacks, I think he's going to have a really good stretch there in the middle of the season and you can plug him in for some pretty solid games. So, you know, before I was kind of staying away just as an unproven guy. But I mean, you look at Joe Burrow and people are picking him up and throwing him straight into lineups as a rookie. And I know Joe Burrow is a lot more polished as, you know, a talent in the NFL was the number one overall pick, obviously. But Justin Herbert's proven he can get it done as well. So no problem to stash him on a bench. I mean, kind of roll him out there as he gets into some better matchups. Could make up for, you know, anybody out there who lost Cam Newton like I did, uh, testing positive for COVID. Well, now, yeah. you know, as opposed to plugging in Baker Mayfield or Ryan Fitzpatrick at the last minute, like I had to do, now you can plug in Justin Herbert after this week five, maybe even in this week five. Um, if you really desperately need to take the shot, there's nobody else in a better matchup out there. We'll talk about more of those on our podcast later in the week. Let's talk about two players that fantasy managers have been kind of sad about so far, been disappointed in their production. <laughs> Much sadness. But now, now these guys have finally delivered on that value, on that draft capital that drafters put into them, and it's Joe Mixon and DJ Chark. Joe Mixon. Joe absolutely joe show him how it's done big guy yeah this is why we were saying do not sell sell joe mixon we knew the down streaks were gonna come we said look you're just gonna have to stick through it and just keep holding him we were worried Uh, if you tried to sell him before you weren't gonna get enough and wow he comes in in this uh, matchup against jacksonville with 42 fantasy points had 25 attempts on the ground for 151 yards six yards per carry uh two touchdowns on the ground then he had six targets through the air caught six of them for 30 yards and another touchdown receiving. So a fantastic game from Mixon. We're not going to expect this week in, week out, but is this a sign of better things to come? Or does Mixon come into to that window where, hey, we got to temper expectations again. He could be in that, you know, 8 to 12 point range. This is definitely a sign of things to come for me. I, You know, I'm always open to offers, right? If someone in your league is coming out and they're like, hey, I'll give you Christian McCaffrey for Joe Mixon, I'm smashing the accept button if they want to give me you know, a lot, if they want to give me Kareem Hunt for Joe Mixon, I might consider something like that as well. Um, just with the workload, we know Kareem Hunt is going to get, but that like outside of the main guys like McCaffrey, Kamara, Zeke, Dalvin Cook, um, I think everything else you kind of have to think about. Even someone like Josh Jacobs has disappointed for the past couple of games. Kenyon Drake has really busted out here lately as well. So there's a lot of guys that are in kind of like the same tier as a Joe Mixon type player, but there's no one that's just like a no brainer for me, except the top guys. And to me, we've said it all season, a couple touchdowns and a little bit of receiving work is really going to change the narrative on Joe Mixon really quickly. You know, I was expecting him to have like an hundred yard, one touchdown game with a couple of catches and he blew that out of the water. But to me, I mean, this is a sign of things to come. The work has been there for Joe Mixon all season, even not counting this explosion of 31 touches in this game. In the first three games, he was averaging 17 carries and two receptions a game, which is really good for the running back position. Um, And the big difference in this one was the six targets for Joe Mixon and none for Giovanni Bernard. So the touchdowns and the receptions were there. Obviously, we're not going to expect it each and every week. But if Joe Mixon's getting, you know, 
18 to 20 touches on the ground that he can add four or five targets a game. Even without a touchdown, he's going to have an incredibly high floor. Um, and then if he gets the touchdown, he obviously gives you a really strong performance. So the offensive line was much better in this one. The offense as a whole was much better in this one. So it, it was great to see for Mixon. The offensive line has been the problem for the first three games. It was nice to see them improve here um, in this game. So that's what I'm going to be keeping my eye on over the next couple of weeks. But I'm definitely not trying to go out and sell Joe Mixon right now. Yeah, I would keep holding him and plugging him in. Are, are you concerned that Mixon has become hyper- game script dependent in this game Cincinnati did get the lead they were just trying to run the clock out uh, and we're just handing it to Mixon time and time again and he was operating really efficiently but I do have concerns with matchups against Pittsburgh twice on the slate Baltimore twice on the slate these really tough defenses they even have Indianapolis in week six you know all I'm going to say is look don't overvalue Mixon off of one game We've seen in these tougher matchups, these tougher game scripts, he's not being everything that we want him to be. This was his highest snap percentage by far, 83% of snaps here in week four. His next highest was 71%. And then before that, it was 50% range is where he was at. So we saw the game strip kind of go his way. I'm just saying don't overvalue Mixon and just lock him in now as your RB1 and just sell off all your good players because you think Mixon is you know, now broken out, is going to you know just dominate every single week. Uh, I think you're still going to have some down stretches from him when the game scripts yep. really, really hurt him. He's kind of a more dependent guy, kind of even like a Nick Chubb earlier this year where you know they went down and then it was Kareem Hunt time. Yeah, it's no, I agree with you. Those are good points you make. The schedule is tough as well. But Mixon, the hope is that the line can be just good enough and that he can get enough receiving work where even in those tough matchups, even in those tough game scripts, he's going to get enough touches and enough volume to put up a good performance. And what's really going to be interesting is in one of these game scripts where they're trailing, in the first three games, we saw Gio Bernard as like that third down back keeping him on the field. In this one, Joe Mixon did get the targets, but it was a competitive game in the first half, and then they pulled away. Um, So it was a little bit more natural. Joe Mixon was on the field more often, like you said. So to me, what's going to be interesting is when they get in one of these negative game scripts, a two-minute drill, something like that, I want to see Joe Mixon on the field, and hopefully we'll get to see that here in the next couple of weeks. So another guy who absolutely exploded, 30 fantasy points. It's DJ Chark. That's it's my guy. He he absolutely went off, and I was so hyped to see it. This is what we drafted him to be. This is why, in my preseason rankings, I had him as my wide receiver 13 going into drafts, was scooping him up everywhere, thought he was a tremendous value, and we saw it. We saw nine targets, caught eight of them for 95 yards, and had two touchdowns. The rapport with Minshew has always been there. Um, he's already had a touchdown this year. We just saw that one disappointing um game early on where you know he was just seeing some low volume actually the first two weeks he was seeing low volume but um I was more concerned over the injuries you know Chark coming in with a back injury uh, with a, a chest injury like those are you know areas of the body that would be concerning especially the back for a wide receiver that's as athletic as Chark needs to go up in the air and make plays um you know and makes a lot of his hay off of speed i was concerned about how he was going to be season long if this is something that was going to be nagging him constantly all those worries are put to the side and we're for both of these guys they were questionable coming into the week i think this just tells us and all the other fantasy players out there if a guy is healthy if he's active no matter what as long as the team doesn't come out and say hey we're going to be limiting him you got to plug him in there um, you know, you might get a goose egg from a guy like Will Fuller, um, who they say is healthy and then leaves early. But regardless, if they're active, you got to plug him in. you got to take that risk, especially on a guy like Chark, who has this insane upside. And the target volume is there. I think you're going to see more of the same here. 
um, for DJ Chark. Next matchup is against Houston. After that, Detroit. So two good matchups coming up for him. I'm expecting big things for the next two weeks. Keep plugging them in. Don't sell high. Just really happy to finally see that Chark breakout in 2020. Yeah, man, it was fantastic. And you said it first two weeks was able to save his day. And, you know, week one, he had the touchdown to save his day on three targets. Week two, he had 21 yards per reception to save his day on four targets. Um, 100% catch percentage through the first two weeks. Only went eight for nine this <laughs> week, but it was just so good to see that target volume up. The two touchdowns obviously helps as well. But this is what we wanted for DJ Chark. And through those first two games, and then missing the third game, it was like, okay, they got LaVisca Chanel involved. Tyler Eifert's getting looks at tight end. They got Keelan Cole out there, Chris Conley. Um, James Robinson is getting looks out of the backfield. And it was just this really widespread offense. It's nice to see Chark clearly emerging as that number one option for Gardner Minshew. I'd expect a couple more big weeks, like you mentioned, Houston and Detroit in the next two games. If Chark can stay around eight, nine targets a game, he's going to have that touchdown upside. You called him kind of like a A.J. Green light earlier this year. I mean, this year, A.J. Green is D.J. Chark light. But A.J. Green light in terms of what he's done in his career, in his prime. I love that comp. Always a threat, you know, to score touchdowns in the red zone. He's a deep ball threat as well. So, look, I, I think Chark's great. If you stuck it out with him, you're keeping him in your lineup. You probably drafted him as your wide receiver, too. And I think he's going to return on that value here um, for the rest of the year. So, great bounce back week in this one for both Joe Mixon and D.J. Chark and that Jaguars-Bengals. I guess I'll call it a showdown <laughs> in week four. Yeah, more like the the toilet bowl. So let's talk about some buy low candidates, guys that underperformed here in week four. That you know, fantasy owners are wondering, hey, is this a guy that I need to be go out going out and and sending out some offers for? Is this something that we should be expecting more of in the future? These down weeks. I want to start with a couple running backs, and we'll talk about some wide receivers. But the first one here, Jonathan Taylor. Really disappointing outing after, you know, we thought he was going to be absolutely insane taking over this backfield with Marlon Mack out. Now he's on his uh, second week with a disappointing outing with, with less than 14 fantasy points. Against Chicago, uh, Taylor had nine total fantasy points, only played 46% of snaps. He did have 17 attempts, which you'd love to see there for 68 yards, and then just had one target through the air, caught it for 11 yards. So, you know, it's just something where he needed the touchdown to save his day. And is that going to be a recurring theme? He scored touchdowns in the last two games that have really saved you. I'm starting to be a little bit concerned for Jonathan Taylor. Maybe he's not quite this, you know, Saquon Barkley level, Nick Chubb level generational talent that's just going to come in and absolutely dominate from day one. Yeah, it's been disappointing as a Colts fan. I mean, Taylor hasn't looked necessarily great. I mean, he's been okay. He's had some good plays. He's had some good runs, but he hasn't looked necessarily great. So, you know, I, it's tough. I expect him to get things going. You know, there's no excuses when you see other guys dominating. Like we saw CEH come out game one in the NFL and dominate. But with Taylor, everyone kind of reacts and adapts differently. There's been no offseason. He came in getting a lot of reps with the twos behind Marlon Mack. So, and, you know, Chicago's got a good defense as well. So you, you got to give him some time to ramp up. And I think Taylor is definitely a buy low candidate, you know, the upside is still there for me. I think he's still got that top 12 RB1 upside um, full season. And when I look at this Colts team, they just haven't had to do a lot this season. Like, they're dominating games with their defense. Um, Vikings, they absolutely dominated. Jets, they dominated. Bears, they dominated. So they've been in these low-volume games, and the offense hasn't really needed to open it up and explode. So I expect them to kind of get things going for their offense in the next couple of weeks. At your Browns next week, Steph, we're going to have to have some sort of bet on that one. 
Then they got the Bengals <laughs> and the Lions. So I think Taylor's going to have three good games here. If you've got him, keep him in your lineup. I think he's going to turn it around. And although it is frustrating to see, you know, these other guys, Jordan Wilkins and Naheem Hines combining for 18 carries, it's still nice to see Taylor get 17 of his own. I would like him, you know, t- to take some of those carries away from Jordan Wilkins. He was in the game way too much, only had 1.7 yards per carry. But Taylor's going to get things going. I have no doubt. Just like we were saying with Joe Mixon, a little bit more passing work and a touchdown or two are really going to shift the narrative. I expect Taylor to have some of those things go his way here in the next couple of weeks. So if you have the chance to buy low on him, even after this game, I think you got to go do it. In our home league, Steph, we saw someone trade you know, David Montgomery and a couple of pieces for Jonathan Taylor. Um, I love that move. You know, send a, 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 another RB2 and a couple of other guys who who might help as flexes or, you know, tight end depth. There's never enough tight end. So if you have two of them, maybe try to package them in a deal and go pick up Jonathan Taylor um, for yourself because I think he's got a ton of upside at the running back position, and I'm not out on yeah, him still yet. Still a guy, you know, maybe he's not top three upside. Like a lot of people were claiming, I still think he has top 10, top eight upside at the running back spot, and things are only going to get better. He's a you know full workhorse back, essentially, even with those other guys coming in. Let's talk about another running back that was heavily touted before the season, was going in the first round in a lot of drafts, and is seeing the passing game work that we wanted him to see. It's Josh Jacobs, only 10 fantasy points. And really, after he exploded in week one in that three-touchdown performance against Carolina, hasn't returned on that value in three tough matchups, 13 points, 8 points, 10 points, but has still been on the field a ton, has had double-digit carries in every single game, actually 15 or more carries in every single game, but just wasn't able to get much going this year, uh, this week. 3.2 yards per attempt. The Raiders' offensive line couldn't get anything going but did you know, see the four targets that we wanted him to see? So with Josh Jacobs, for me, he's still a hold. He's kind of going through the same thing that Joe Mixon did, where there's some tough matchups. Um, you're not just you know you're not seeing the boom weeks. You're not seeing any touchdowns. Those are going to come with Josh Jacobs, a guy who is a full three down workhorse back, is getting targets through the air. Um, I'm trying to buy low on him everywhere I can, uh, and I'm not selling. If I if I have him, I'm plugging him right back in here against Kansas City in Week Five. No, I'm with you 100%. If you got him, you got to hold. You got to stick it out. He's getting the work. He's getting the volume in the passing game that we wanted him to get this season. I mean, if you look at the Raiders games, obviously Jacobs had the three touchdowns in week one, which was awesome. If you look at week two against the Saints, Derek Carr threw a three-yard touchdown pass and a one-yard touchdown pass. You know, both red zone opportunities that easily could have gone Jacobs way. If you look at them in week three, Derek Carr threw a one yard touchdown pass. And then this past week against the Bills, Carr threw a three yard touchdown pass and a seven yard touchdown pass. So Carr's throwing all these touchdowns inside of the 10 yard line. And, you know, that's going to continue to happen. You're always going to, you know, want to be multidimensional on the goal line in the red zone. But I would start to expect them to kind of start, you know, giving Josh Jacobs the looks that close to the goal line. He did it really well in his rookie season. He's done it well this year when he's had the opportunities. So look for more of those those opportunities and looks to go Josh Jacobs way. Um, you know, I, it, it's good to me that the Raiders are at least getting down in the scoring zone. The Raiders offense has actually been decent this year, even with a lot of the receiving options out of the lineup. So you said it, you're buying low on Josh Jacobs, sending out offers for him. Um, and if you have him, you just got to hold. Luckily, he hasn't absolutely crushed you in any of these games. You know, no like two point performances, um, but definitely hasn't quite returned on that value just yet. Part of the natural kind of ebb and flow of fantasies. You just see guys who have cold stretches, but you know, there's also going to be some boom upside stretches and big weeks 
coming. And I think Josh Jacobs is going to be one of those. Another guy that some guys were even, uh, you know, fantasy drafters were taking back to back at the end of the, the first uh, second round turn is Miles Sanders along with Josh Jacobs. Sanders with a tough one in this game. was looked like he even got pulled towards the end there after a couple bad drops. He had 13 attempts for 46 yards, uh, only caught two of his four targets for 30 yards, 9.6 fantasy points in a tough mm. matchup against San Francisco. Are you reading into this one too much? Are you plugging Sanders right back in there? Oh, Sanders, man, this one's a tough one for me. I, I think he's been fine. It's the same with all these guys. Like, Sanders, really rough game here on Sunday Night Football, but he's another player who's getting the work on the ground. He's getting passing work. It was a little bit lower this week in a really tough matchup against the 49ers. And in the next two weeks, he does have Pittsburgh and Baltimore. So, you know, I'm not – I don't think I'm trying to buy him low right now. Maybe I'll wait for the Pittsburgh game, for the Baltimore game. If he has a couple bad weeks, his value is going to go down to the person that has him on their roster. So maybe you can buy low at that point. Um, but if you have him, I- I'm still holding. I think against Pittsburgh, against Baltimore, just from a volume perspective, Miles Sanders is still a guy who could turn in a solid game. He's a guy you have to start each and every week because there's just not a lot of players in the league right now getting 13 to 17 carries a game and five or six targets a game. So I know the Eagles offense has struggled. The matchups aren't going to be great here, but you got to hold on to Miles Sanders and hope hope for the best and hold on for the ride because we said it with Joe Mixon, even though we were concerned if you try to sell him low now, you're not going to get as much for him as you should. And thankfully for Mixon this past week, it turned into a really productive performance. So one big game for Miles Sanders is totally going to flip the narrative of, of what the rest of his year looks like. Yeah, I would wait till after this Pittsburgh game, even after Baltimore. I think I think most fantasy players are getting smart enough now that they're going to know that uh, you know in a matchup against the Giants, they probably shouldn't trade away Miles Sanders, um, who still was on the field just as often, like from a snap percentage he just in the the you know, late game when they're coming back final drive it was all Boston Scott and even Corey Clement was in there uh, but after this Pittsburgh week five matchup I'd be trying to scoop up Miles Sanders everywhere I possibly can just like I would with Jonathan Taylor Steph one more guy I want to talk about I know it's not in our sheet but I feel like we have to talk about this guy because going into the year he was kind of in that same tier as Jonathan Taylor Josh Jacobs Miles Sanders we've talked about him a lot but I just want to get a quick take on Kenyon Drake To me, I'm much more concerned about Kenyon Drake than I was last week. I mean, terrible game against one of the worst rundies in the league, the Carolina Panthers. Kenyon Drake, 13 carries for 35 yards, and he's just not getting looks in the passing game. Zero targets in this game after only getting two targets, two targets, and one target through the first three. The last two weeks, Detroit and Carolina should have been these bounce-back matchups for Kenyon Drake, and he's fallen flat in both of them. What are we doing with Kenyon Drake right now? Is he a hold? If someone comes to try to buy him from you, are you willing to sell? Or is he someone you're even going to go out and try to acquire in leagues? Or are you kind of trying to, to avoid Kenyon Drake? I mean, Chase Edmonds has looked good. Edmonds had you know only four carries, but 16 yards on the ground and had the receiving touchdown in this game on six targets. What are we doing with this Cardinals backfield? Because I'm starting to get a little bit concerned about Kenyon Drake. Oh man, it's it's really concerning, and I I hate this because I was all over Drake preseason. I thought he was going to absolutely explode. This offense is you know moving, even though they did end up losing in this game, and Kyler didn't play his best. But you know the the air raid offense that we all like that that creates fantasy value for all the skill position players is just not giving us that right now. Um, the air raid is more looking like the not even the run raid really. It's more of this you know short quick passing game. It's the 
you know, more of a horizontal think New Orleans Saints, the way they've been playing here the last two weeks when Kyler's been, you know, kind of sloppy going downfield. So I don't I don't really know what to do with Drake. I, he's probably a guy that you know, I'm willing to start him against the Jets. Go back to the well one more time. I thought this was going to be the game for him against Carolina. Um, and, you know, once he had that explosion, it was it was wheels up for Drake for the rest of the season. That did not happen here. Ended up having his worst game Brutal. of the season so far. Only three and a half fantasy points. That did absolutely crush your lineup. You just you got to plug him back in, give him one more chance against the Jets. If he can't give you anything there, then <laughs> then I'm willing to move on, sell him for pennies on the dollar, and just see if I can get any sort of value. Because he's he's if you can't do it against Carolina and, and New York, you're not going to do it. So let's go ahead and move on to a couple of wide receivers. First one here, DJ Moore, the wide receiver two on the Carolina Panthers. Steph, are what are you doing with DJ Moore? I mean, he's really only put up one fantasy performance that you're happy about so far this year, and it was in garbage time against Tampa Bay in week two. Fun fact on the Panthers, Teddy Bridgewater is fourth in the NFL. This is before the, the Monday night games with, you know, Mahomes, Rodgers, um, and Matt Ryan. So maybe that changes after this Monday night game. But right now he's fourth in the NFL. Teddy is in passing yards. The volume is huge for this Carolina Panthers football team, yet DJ Moore still hasn't really produced what are we doing with DJ Moore? I think I'd still be willing to to buy him low. I'm not going to overpay for him, but he does have a great matchup against Atlanta here in Week Five. I think it's the you know the stage is going to get set for a get right game for DJ. From a talent perspective, I, I like him way over Robbie Anderson. I don't know where this chemistry is coming from. I saw somebody saying, "Hey, maybe uh, Teddy and Robbie worked out together on the Jets more than we all thought." Uh, and these guys have a have some rapport there that's <laughs> that's been built. You know, and something I thought is that when when CMC went out with injury, that DJ Moore was going to get an uptick in all facets. He was going to get more targets, more looks in the red zone. Mm. He's not seeing that because Mike Davis essentially stepped in and just taken over this CMC role and done really well with it. We saw Reggie Bonifon come in and get some, uh, you know, get a touchdown in this game as well. And he's been fine when he's been called upon in Carolina. I think it's something that's, you know, half game script um, and half, you know, game plan. I still believe in the talent of DJ Moore. He's seeing decent enough target volume that you just got to keep plugging him back in. You mentioned the uh, production that Teddy Bridgewater has offered them. Uh, he's just a guy that, look, he's in a tough stretch. He gave you that 120-point week. Outside of that, you're getting you know, about 10 points, a little bit less than 10 points on a weekly basis. That's just what you expect from a wide receiver too. So, look, temper expectations with DJ, but plug him back in against Atlanta. Hope he can pop off again. Uh, and give you another 120-yard performance and 20 fantasy points like he did against Tampa Bay. Yeah, I think you plug him back in in a great matchup against Atlanta. If he does have a big week, I might be willing to sell because he's just not going to get the touchdowns. He's never been a touchdown yeah. guy. And, you know, the 13-target game for 120 yards was great in Week 2. But outside of that, if he's only seeing six, seven, eight targets a game and he's putting up, you know, four for 60, five for, for 60, things like that with that touchdown – He's absolutely killing you for the value you got him. So if he has a big week out here um, in week five against Atlanta, I think he's a sell. But if you don't, I think he's still, like you said, a low-end wide receiver too with some upside weeks for the rest of the season. But anytime you take a guy in you know, the third round and through four weeks, Scotty Miller, Cole Beasley, and Tim Patrick have more fantasy points than you, it's a tough scene. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And let's talk about Darius Slayton, last buy-low candidate here. Played on 97% of snaps with Sterling Shepard and Saquon Barkley gone from this New York Giants offense. Saw seven targets, but only caught three of them for 48 yards. 
What are we doing with Darius Slayton? I loved him early on in the year, had that big explosive 28-point game against Pittsburgh. But things have kind of fizzled out since then. Hasn't hit double-digit fantasy points in three weeks now. Are you willing to buy him knowing that the usage is still going to be there um, with Shepard out? Is he a guy that you're just, you know, it's kind of your on your bench and you're just considering him if he's there in a flex and he's the best guy there? Yeah, I mean, this is exactly what we expect out of Darius Slayton. It happened a little bit differently because the pop game was in week one. But if he would have had, you know, three for 53, three for 48, and then in week three had a pop game, we'd be like, oh, Slayton had one of his three pop games that he's going to have this year. So this is business <laughs> as usual for Darius Slayton. I'm not really wanting to go acquire him, give anything up for him. You know, he's rostered in 72% of leagues right now. Um, so the, the the ownership percentage is declining on a week-by-week basis after another disappointing performance. I think he's going to end up on a lot of waiver wires. So if he's out there, definitely scoop him up because he's kind of in that Michael Gallup category right now um, of someone who is involved in the offense. He's going to be able to have big plays, big yards per catch, things like that. And occasionally he's going to pop off for that massive game. So I'm not necessarily trying to buy low. You know, I'm he's just another guy you can throw in your flex um, as a wide receiver four if someone's on buy, someone's injured, and hope that it's one of the few uh, pop weeks that he's going to have over the course of the season. If I can, I, I would try to acquire him. Um, and I'll tell you why. It's because the schedule opens schedule. up massively for the Giants here over the next couple of weeks. They have Dallas, Washington, then Philly, and then after that, uh, then they have Tampa Bay, and then it's gorgeous the rest of the way. Washington, Philly, Cincinnati, Seattle, Arizona, Cleveland, and then Baltimore in week 16. But if you can buy low on Darius Slayton right now for, like, don't overpay for him. I would give you, you know, maybe another wide receiver, three wide receiver, four, maybe one that has some name hype, or maybe a guy that's, uh, you know, got some usage, had a pop week. Go sell him and try to pick up Slayton because I think there's still a ton of boom upside potential for him to take over as the wide receiver one in this team, as the guy that Danny Dimes looks to to score points when they need it. It's just the last couple of games, the Giants as a whole have just looked absolutely brutal. If they can get it together, I think Slayton's going to absolutely benefit from that. Um, so I'm willing to take the shot, put a couple of chips in on Slayton, but not overpaying by any means. Steph, Slayton or Michael Gallup rest of the season in PPR? I'd go Gallup just by a hair. Fair. Better <laughs> offense, better quarterback. Exactly. Totally but they're, exactly. they're, they're the same. Better O-line. Like, That's probably the main thing. Yeah, similar situations for me as a whole. But let's go ahead and talk about another receiver. We are not selling high. It is Terry McLaurin. This guy has been lights out so far this season. The clear number one, two, and three option <laughs> in this Washington passing game. This guy's matchup proof. And it, it, like a tough matchup against the Ravens. Dwayne Haskins is your quarterback. You play for a football team that doesn't even have a mascot. And you're going to go out here and put up, what was this stat line? 10 catches? 10 catches on 14 10 targets. catches, 118 yards. Unreal. Unbelievable. I mean, Dwayne Haskins, believe it or not, threw for 300-plus yards in this game. But 14 targets for Terry McLaurin is fantastic to see. Is he a wide receiver one right now? Yeah, he's he's the wide receiver eight on the year. And we could easily see him finish <laughs> – in that 8 to 14 range. I think McLaurin is a guy that you got to now plug in every single week. We have seen no evidence that McLaurin's slowing down at all whatsoever and it's really a situation where he's getting this funneled volume. He's the one option on this team. And like you said, first, second and third read for Dwayne Haskins. It's not Logan Thomas as much as I wanted that breakout to happen. Uh, Antonio Gibson has been decent for them on the ground and has kept that offense moving when they've needed him to. 
Um, and even in a game that was mostly garbage time, we still saw McLaurin absolutely eat. So in all matchups, they're going to be in a lot of garbage, time. a lot of garbage time for this team. And, you know, like we said, like this isn't the Washington team of last year where they're tanking and they're not going to, they're not going to run the ball 30 times a game again. They're actually going to try to compete. They're going to try to move the ball. They're going to pass. And I would not be surprised if Kyle Allen comes in. Um, we saw what Kyle Allen was able to do with DJ Moore in Carolina. You know, able to give him Volume. a 1,200-yard season, uh, 87 catches on the year in 2019 for DJ Moore. We might see that again for McLaurin in a very similar situation where he's getting this funneled volume. They don't really have that many other options, and McLaurin has proven. Like, he is a dominant wide receiver. He's an elite talent, and if he was on a better team, I think we'd be hailing him as one of the next best things. And, I mean, you look at McLaurin's schedule the rest of the way, they get the Giants twice. They get the Cowboys twice. They get Detroit, Cincinnati, Seattle. They're going to be in a ton. I know we we're talking about how he's matchup proof. Like you're starting him every single week, but expectations in some of these shootout games are going to be incredible. And I think he's going to return that value. They get Carolina in week 16, championship week in fantasy football. So if you invested a mid round pick in Terry McLaurin as your wide receiver too, you're thrilled. And I'm with you, Steph. I think and not only is he a wide receiver one right now through four weeks, I think he finishes there as well. Super excited for McLaurin, just an incredibly talented player on an incredibly bad team. But I mean, hey, they're still in contention in the NFC East, so who knows? <laughs> yeah, I think any team could win the NFC East at this point. You know, a few other stats here on McLaurin. He has the highest route participation in the league. He's fourth in terms of snap share in the league amongst wide receivers. Uh, sixth in receiving yards, but 14th in reception. So he's creating a lot of his own yardage. It's not like, you know, he needs to have all these touches and, and big plays manufactured for him. He's just a guy that if you get the ball in his hands, it's going to lead to some production. Uh, is 11th in targets so far on the year with 25 of those. 25% target share, which is top 12 at the position. Um, the sad thing is here, even though he's at number one in yards after the catch, McLaurin is 10th in the league and unrealized uncaught right air yards so you mm. know if you see that that's so been. much room for regression that's so much room for improvement from mclaurin and one of those things in drafts is hey can this guy that we we pick up or uh, this guy on my roster can he outperform where his adp is and mclaurin was one of those guys we really liked him as a wide receiver two wide receiver three in drafts for this very reason and now he's just delivering on that value if anything happens, if there's any upgrades to the offense, to the quarterback, you're going to see really, really big things for Terry McLaurin. Um, so I'm willing to put chips in on him. If, if somebody's willing to sell high on him, um, I'm willing to buy high on McLaurin. Man, if he had a quarterback or if he was on a different team, who knows? I mean, Dynasty, Terry McLaurin, if you have Terry McLaurin, you got to be feeling fantastic right now. But Steph, let's go ahead and move on to a tough situation in L.A., what is going on in this backfield? I mean, you got Cam Akers out. You got Daryl Henderson, who looks like he's taking over the backfield. And all of a sudden, Malcolm Brown leads the team, you know, and carries. What is happening in L.A.? And can you trust any of these guys moving forward? For me, it's a no. I'm avoiding this Rams backfield at all costs for the rest of the year, unless two of them are out with an injury. It's, it's looking that way. There might be some hot streaks, but anytime you plug one of these guys in, unless it's Akers after a breakout and he Rolling takes over, dice. you're just chasing points on a week-over-week -week basis. We don't know what McVay is going to do. He's a guy that every single game, it seems like he schemes a couple key players to have big fantasy weeks. You look at like Robert Woods in week one, Cooper Cup in weeks two and three, 
Um, and Daryl Henderson, absolutely. Tyler Higby last year. Exactly. Yeah, Higby had that insane historic stretch for a tight end at the end of last year. It's just something where we can see the ball moved around to specific players based on what McVay sees on a week-in, week-out basis. And that's why, at least for now, you've got to fade both Henderson and Brown. Um, you know, kudos to you, Alex. You weren't as high as I was on Henderson. I thought Henderson had an opportunity to go in and take over this backfield and be the RB1 after putting it up you know, 20 fantasy points in two weeks, had the touchdown both weeks. I thought there's no way that they were going to go away from him in those games against Philadelphia and Buffalo. And then an easy matchup against the Giants, it turned into be, uh, you know, a trap for Daryl Henderson. And as he was on the field for 39% of snaps to Malcolm Brown, 61%. So it was just one of those weeks. Um, and it's one of those things where unless it's Cam Akers, I don't want any guy in this backfield, not because I don't think they, they can produce and have great fantasy weeks, but because there's going to be weeks where they're giving you four or five point fantasy outings. You just don't want to take that risk on your roster. Would much rather flex even a safer wide receiver name like a Cole Beasley, like a Justin Jefferson, like any of these other guys over Daryl Henderson or Malcolm Brown by extension. Agreed. It's not even worth it. Like, I guess if you're in a deep league and you need a running back three or a running back four to play during bye weeks to play if someone gets hurt and you have to just plug him in one time and just pray that it's, you know, the Daryl Henderson week or the Malcolm Brown week, I guess they're still rosterable. But with Cam Akers coming back, it's just going to get more and more murky. Steph, I will say Cam Akers now only rostered in 64% of leagues. I expect that to keep plummeting as he missed another game. If Cam Akers is sitting out there on your waiver wire, are you willing to stash him and wait and see if he takes over this backfield? backfield when he gets healthy i am i am he's now the one guy that you know like i was saying henderson could explode and just take over um when acres comes back he's in that contention if you can get him for barely anything with very minimal cost with the upside that he could take over and be the dominant one that they want i mean we look at the game before acres got hurt he was absolutely eating um, so if they go back to him, if they give him the opportunity and he does become a player that McVay schemes for, you're going to see some upside and some boom potential from him. But for the time being, it's not a guy that I want to overpay for or try to trade for. See if he falls to the waivers after a couple more missed weeks and people just say, hey, I'm out on this backfield. Well, now you could swoop in and get just get some upside potential from a Cam Akers who is the most talented guy in this running back room. One more rookie I want to talk about. It's T. Higgins in Cincinnati. A couple good games here in a row for the Bengals with Joe Burrow. It seems like Higgins is getting more and more involved, and A.J. Green is getting less and less involved. Steph, what do we do with this Cincinnati Bengals wide receiving core? I mean, Tyler Boyd is obviously a start every single week. He continues to be fantastic. Yeah. But A.J. Green just doesn't look the same. He looks like he's lost a step. And T. Higgins looks fantastic. T. Higgins did have a couple he could have came down with in this game but he saw seven targets this week four catches for 77 yards aj green one catch three yards on five targets it seems like that is starting to shift towards t higgins being the wide receiver two in cincinnati if you have aj green are you bailing i'm not bailing but i'm i'm definitely concerned it's going to be tough to start him against baltimore uh, so he's probably a guy i'm going to sit and just see what he does for a little bit uh, maybe sell high if you can get somebody who will overpay for that name value who is a big name burrow value. believer yeah. maybe you can get something for him uh, but not a guy that i i want to start over the next two or really three weeks with matchups against baltimore indianapolis and then cleveland so maybe you plug him back in against cleveland but for a guy who's on the field for 71 percent of snaps that is just not the kind of production that you want to see aj green still hasn't scored a touchdown yet this year and considering mm. that he is in a contract situation where he was franchise tagged 
Um, you know, if, if Cincinnati Bengals realize that T Higgins can be the guy that they can put as the alpha X on the outside with Tyler Boyd operating as more of like a, you know, slot guy, Juju Smith-Schuster, Adam Thielen type of profile. I don't see why they don't just let T Higgins take over and let AJ Green walk after this year. And so if they're seeing what they like out of Higgins, who looks like he's getting some type of rapport going with Burrow is only on the field for 57% of snaps, saw seven targets. So more than AJ Green and caught four of them. So more than AJ Green in both ways. And I, th- I think there was more there for Higgins. He had, um, a couple passes that I thought were fully catchable, just made some rookie mistakes. I think we're going to see big things from him. If he's out on waivers, I think you've got to go out and get him. Maybe not plug him in again against Baltimore, but still a guy that I want stashed on my bench who could take over and really be the AJ Green in this offense. They said during the draft, Zach Taylor and, and the front office in Cincinnati said, oh, we're not drafting T. Higgins to be the A.J. Green replacement. But that's really what we've seen so far. They're both operating in the same way. They're both these, you know, 6'4", 200-pound wide receivers that can be targets in the end zone, can be targets downfield. Same thing like we said with DJ Chark, that same type of profile that AJ Green is, is exactly what T Higgins is. So I'm willing, especially in a dynasty, if you can buy high on Higgins, I would do so because I think we've seen enough to say you can go out and get him. And he only had 13 fantasy points in this game, uh, but was super efficient, 20 yards per catch, and was seeing a lot of great looks in this offense. So Assuming that the game scripts will continue to be awful for Cincinnati, which I have no doubt they will be, Higgins is going to be a guy you want. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think Higgins is someone you need to pick up on the waiver wire. We look at Justin Jefferson, too, who just had the explosion game, and then he followed it up with a really good performance in week four. I think T. Higgins is getting to that same category, had the explosion game in week three, followed it up with a really solid performance in week four. Pick him up. I'm not saying start him right away. But continue to see if he builds that rapport with Joe Burrow, gets on the field a lot, gets more targets than guys like A.J. Green. And he might turn into something like, you know, last year we saw A.J. Brown really pop in the back half of the season. Some of these rookies, we're going to continue to see them get worked up in their offenses and then be really, really solid contributors down the stretch. So I love that call. And with A.J. Green, man, I'm with you. I think you don't cut him. Um, If someone's willing to give you something for him because he's A.J. Green, you know, take it or if you can get any kind of value for him take it but I'm probably just going to leave him on my bench he's in you know T.Y. Hilton category for me you're probably putting him on your bench and waiting to see them do something before you feel confident about putting them in your lineup and Steph I want to throw out a quick hot take here before we close out this episode I know we're running a little long on time about to wrap it up I think A.J. Green's getting traded this year I think A.J. Green, word on the street is he's been really good for Joe Burrow, really helped Joe Burrow get ramped up. He's helped him a lot. It's been a good leader, mentor for him. Obviously, a good receiver to throw to as well. But A.J. Green, only a 42% catch rate this year, hasn't had the rapport with Joe Burrow on the field. And now that the Bengals are seeing what they're getting in T. Higgins, now that they're, you know, 1-2-1 and in a really tough division with the Steelers, who are 3-0, the Ravens, who are 3-1, the Browns, who are 3-1, you know, A.J. Green is going to be a free agent after this year. Why not trade him for a mid-round pick to a contender and get something for him? I wouldn't be surprised to see a team like the Green Bay Packers trade for A.J. Green, maybe even the the Eagles who are contending um, and have some injuries as well. Like, it would not surprise me one bit to see some teams shuffle around some cap space and make a move, a low-risk move who could really help an offense for someone like A.J. Green. So if that happens, you heard it here first. Um, here at the end of week four, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Bengals make a move. Very nice. Very nice. Well, 
think that's it for us. We checked all the boxes here. A lot of hot takes, a lot of fun players to break down. A lot of great matchups coming up here in week five. And man, it's just crazy that we're already four weeks into the season. Now we're starting to see some wow. things that, you know, hey, are these trends? Are these boom explosions that are one-time things? So as time goes on, we're going to have more clarity on these players, guys that you should be investing in, guys that you should be selling anywhere possible. But thank you all so much for listening and watching. If you like the show, please hit that subscribe button. That is huge for us. A like is always appreciated as well. And thank you all again so much for listening and watching. And we'll see y'all next time. Peace. Peace.